say that it is the speech of Allah, nor, it, nor that it is not the speech of Allah. And they didn't say it is created, nor that it is not created. And they didn't take any position. And the Shaykh said that, uh, and that they are either two possibilities, they are from the Jahmiyyah, uh, if they hold that the speech of Allah, uh, if they hold that it is, and that it is uh, created, and they are from the Ittihadiyah, and if they say that it is not created, meaning that their speech as well as that which is spoken is not created. Then he asked the question, what is the ruling concerning those who say, love thee, bil Qur'an makhluk? Yani, what is the ruling concerning those who say, love thee, bil Qur'an makhluk? Meaning, my expression or expressing the Qur'an is created. And again, he said that this expression, it has two possible meanings. Therefore, it is not proper to affirm nor negate uh, this statement, to say it in the affirmative nor in the negative, but one should clarify what is meant. Because if someone says in the absolute sense that the expression of the Qur'an is created, then it includes both meanings. That is, their action of speaking as well as that which is spoken in the Qur'an, and this would be false. And if they say that it is not created, then likewise it includes their speech, which indeed is not created, and it also includes the Qur'an. Or their speech which is created, and it includes the Qur'an which is not created. So he said that the person should clarify what they mean by this and not use it in the absolute sense saying that their expression of the Qur'an is created in the absolute sense but they should clarify that their action of speaking is created and that which is being recited the Qur'an is not created. Then we talked about the Iman, the Rusul, what is the evidences for it and what is the meaning of it. Uh, and. The final question, whether or not the da'wah of the messengers was in agreement. And he did the da'wah of all of the messengers agree with one another concerning what they have ordered and prohibited. Uh, this was the last question that we talked about. And uh, this leads up to the question that we will discuss, the question, the first question that we will discuss this evening. Uh, in that final question, the Sheikh says that concerning the da'wah or the call of the messengers that indeed the first of them to the last of them they are in agreement on the asl of ibadah yani the fundamental principle of ibadah and that is the tawheed singling out Allah alone to be worshipped as for the other matters which Allah is worshipped by the other obligatory duties such as prayer and fasting and so on then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it obligatory some of those things or some aspects of them on some people and not on others, and he has made some things lawful for others and forbidden for others, and this is as a test to see, as he mentions here the ayat, لِيَبَلُوَكُمْ أَيُّكُمْ أَحْسَنُ عَمَلًا to see which of you, to test which of you is best in actions. And some of the scholars of the Salaf, they said that the meaning of this ayat, and it has come in various places in the Qur'an, similar expression, to test, to see which of you is best in actions, it means, uh, it means, أَخْلَصُكُمْ وَأَسْوَبُكُمْ يعني which one of you is the closest in ikhlas and in sawab and being correct it means the best of you in action is the one who does that action with ikhlas purely for the sake of Allah alone and they do it correctly عَلَى sawab meaning in accordance with the sharia or the sunnah of the Prophet يعني the best of you in action is the one who does it with ikhlas for the sake of Allah and in accordance with the sharia
So in reference to the asl of ibadah, that is the tawheed, all of the scholars, or all of the prophets, the prophets and messengers, all of them were in agreement. Their call, all of them made this the foundation of their call, calling the people to worship Allah alone. Uh, however, in reference to the things, the other obligatory duties which they ordered the people with, there may have been some <coughs> variations or some differences between that which was lawful or unlawful and that which uh, the people were obligated to do uh, from one nation to another. After this, the first question that we want to discuss this evening is the evidence for this statement that the call of the messengers was all in agreement upon the asl of ibadah, the fundamental of worship, and that is a tawheed. While there may have been variations or differences in reference to those things, the secondary matters, the branches of that which was legislated, meaning the different sharia laws that were given, there was some difference or variation between them. What is the evidence for this? So the shaykh says in question number 90, what is the dalil? That they were, that they were, that they differed, or that they were in agreement. Ittifaqukum. What was the dalil that they were in agreement, uh, in concerning the asl of ibadah, that which has been mentioned, the foundation of ibadah at tawheed? What is the proof that they were in agreement on this? He said that the evidence concerning this from the Quran, from the Kitab, the Book of Allah, it is of two types, the mujmal and the mufassal. As far as the mujmal, it means that which is general. And the mufassal means that which is specific or detailed, and that which is explained in some detail or specifics. So he said there are two types of evidences in the kitab, in the book of Allah, Al-Quran. As far as that which is general, the mujmal, he said it is like the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Nahl, chapter 16, verse 36. وَلَقَدْ that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that indeed we have missioned or sent forth amongst every nation or to every nation a messenger. Every nation has been sent a messenger. And that messenger was sent to the people with this message, Allah, that you should worship Allah, ordering the people to worship Allah alone. That is the tawheed, the isbat of worship for Allah alone, and to avoid the worship of the false gods. And that is the negation. And in this ayat, there is affirmation and negation. The affirmation that the worship belongs to Allah alone, the affirmation of Tawheed, and the negation of worship for other than Allah, and the saying of Allah, وَاجْتَنِبُوا الطَّاغُوتِ To avoid the worship of the false gods. And this is the essence of the meaning of La ilaha illallah, that there is nothing which deserves to be worshipped, except Allah, meaning affirming or negating worship to other than Allah, La ilaha, and affirming the worship for Allah alone, illallah. Then he said also from the mujmal or general proofs or evidences of this point, that the asl of ibadah, the tawheed, that was the, the call of all of the messengers, that they were in agreement to this, was the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Anbiya, chapter 21, verse 25, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ مِنْ رَسُولٍ إِلَّا نُوحِي إِلَيْهِ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنَا فَاعْبُدُونَ here in this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also uh, confirms that this was the essential message of every prophet and messenger. He said that we have not sent min qabli, before you, before the prophet Muhammad sallallahu we have not sent before you min rasulin, any messenger whatsoever. And here, min rasulin in the Arabic language makes clear that there is absolutely, there was never ever any messenger that was sent 
because it is in the siyaq of nafi wa ma arsalna min qablika min rasul and the scholars of arabic language said that when you have such an expression like this min rasulin it is um, it is an expression that shows that it is absolute negation that no messenger was sent before you before the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam except illa nuhi ilayhi except that we have revealed to him annahu la ilaha illa ana that there is nothing which deserves to be worshipped except me that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fa'abuduni therefore worship me and again in this ayat there is negation and affirmation annahu la ilaha that there is nothing that deserves to be worshipped is negation and nafi illa ana except me that is the affirmation of worship for Allah alone and then Allah says therefore since there is nothing that deserves to be worshipped except me fa'abuduni therefore worship me yani worship me alone also from the general evidences is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Zukhruf chapter 43 verse 45 وَسْأَلْ مَنْ أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبَلِكَ مِنْ رُسُولِنَا Ask those who were sent before you from our messengers and if anyone were to ask any of the messengers who were sent before then they would also confirm this reality أَجْعَلْنَا مِنْ دُونِ الرَّحْمَانِ آلِهَا have we made uh, any God, aliha, any God, things that are worshipped other than Ar-Rahman, yani other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Have we made any God, Yu'abadun, to be worshipped, that are to be worshipped? And obviously it is a question, its meaning, it is the negation of such. That, they, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not given any authority or any permission that there be any gods that have the right to be worshipped besides him. So these are the evidences that he mentioned that are general. And it is proved that all of the previous prophets and messengers came with the same message as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this final. I ask any of the messengers who came before you. And they will confirm that nothing has been given the authority to be worshipped besides Allah. As far as the specific and mufassal, the specific evidences from the Quran which confirm this reality that the message of every messenger prophet, it was the call to Tawheed, to single out Allah alone for worship. Supplication should be given to Allah alone. If anybody makes a vow, they should make a vow in the name of Allah alone. Hope and fear and love, it should be, as, a, as an act of worship, it should be for Allah alone. Sacrifice should only be made in the name of Allah alone and so on. Every act of worship, it should be for Allah alone. And even the other things that are the rights of Allah alone should be left exclusively for Him. And the greatest of them, after the acts which are pure acts of worship, it is the right of legislation. And to make laws contrary to the law of Allah, this is also a violation of the right of Allah, that is an aspect of Tawheed. So he said, as far as the specific evidences in the Qur'an, uh, the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Mu'minun, chapter 23, verse 23, مَا لَكُمْ مِنْ إِلَاهٍ غَيْرُهِ أَفَلَا تَتَّقُونَ Yani the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that indeed we have sent Nuh Yani one of the greatest of the messengers, one of the Ulul Azam those who were of firm determination and resolution those who are outstanding from amongst the prophets and messengers who were sent to humanity throughout the history of man on this earth the first of them after the people deviated from Tawheed and fell into shirk. The first of them was Nuh. 
Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, indeed, we have sent Nuh to his people. And he said, oh, my people, worship Allah. He ordered them with tawheed to worship Allah alone. مَا لَكُمْ مِنْ إِلَٰهٍ غَيْرُهُ That you don't have anything that should be worshipped other than him. Here again is negation and affirmation. That you don't have any God that should be worshipped. غَيْرُهُ Other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. أَفَلَا تَتَّقُونَ Will you not then have taqwa? That is, will you not fulfill the commands of Allah and avoid his prohibitions? Then the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Tuhud, chapter 11, verse 61. وَإِلَىٰ ثَمُودِ أَخَاهُمْ صَالِحًا يعني that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent to the Thamud people their brother Salih alayhi salam and he said قَالَ يَا قَوْمِ عَبُدُ اللَّهِ مَا لَكُمْ مِنْ إِلَاهٍ غَيْرُهِ the same thing oh my people worship Allah you do not have anything that deserves to be worshipped other than him and the saying of Allah in Surah Tuhud chapter 11 verse 50 وَإِلَىٰ عَادٍ أَخَاهُمْ هُودًا قَالَ يَا قَوْمِ عَبُدُ اللَّهَ مَا لَكُمْ مِنْ إِلَاهٍ غَيْرُهِ that we also have sent to Aad, to the people of Aad, their brother Hud, السلام, and he said, oh my people, worship Allah, worship Allah alone, you do not have anything that has the right to be worshipped other than him. And likewise in the same chapter Hud, verse 84, And also we have sent to the Median people, their brother Shu'ib, and he said the same, oh my people, Worship Allah, worship Allah alone, establish the Tawheed, for indeed you don't have anything that has the right to be worshipped other than Him, other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he said the saying of Allah in Surah Al-Zukhruf chapter 43, verses 26 and 27, The saying, and remember when Ibrahim alayhi salam, he said to his father and to his people, Innani mimma ta'budun, That indeed I am free of blame. I have no relationship to that which you worship other than Allah. This is the negation of anything that deserves to be worshipped other than Allah. Uh, and then the affirmation, I'm free of whatever, anything, whatever it may be that you worship, except the one who has created me. Except my Creator, except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He's the only one who deserves to worship. And likewise, that which is mentioned in Surah Taha, chapter 20, verse 98, and it is in reference to the story of Musa alayhi salam and his people when they set up to worship, they set up as an object of worship the calf. And as some of the scholars of Tafsir said, that Musa alayhi salam, when he found them doing so, he said to them, إِنَّمَا إِلَهُكُمُ اللَّهِ الَّذِي لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا هُوَ وَسِيَ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ عِلْمًا That Musa السلام, made clear to them that verily your God, the one that deserves to be worshipped, it is Allah الَّذِي لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا هُوَ The one uh, whom there is nothing that deserves to be worshipped except him and his knowledge uh, encompasses everything or he encompasses everything by his knowledge. And then he mentions the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in reference to Isa alayhi salam in Surah Ma'idah chapter 5 verse 72 وَقَالَ الْمَصِيحُ يَا بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلِ اعْبُدُ اللَّهَ رَبِّي وَرَبَّكُمْ إِنَّهُ مَا يُشْرِكْ بِاللَّهِ فَقَدْ حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ الْجَنَّةِ وَمَأْوَاهُ النَّارِ وَمَا لِلْظَالِمِينَ مِنْ أَنصَارِ And also remember when Al-Masih, the Messiah, Isa alayhi salam, when he said, O oh, children of Israel, 
Worship Allah. Rabbi wa Rabbakum. Worship Allah, my Lord and your Lord. Verily, whoever uh, associates anything with Allah, makes shirk with Allah, then that person will be in the condition فَقَدْ حَرَّمَ اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ الْجَنَّةِ Allah will make forbidden for him the Jannah and his destination will be the fire and there's no helpers for the ظالمين meaning the mushrikeen, those who commit shirk. And finally, he mentions that which is addressed to our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Surah Al-Sad, chapter 30, verse 65. Say, verily, I am a warner, munzir, wa ma min ilahin illallah, and there is nothing that deserves to be worshipped except Allah, al-wahid, al-qahar. So, in these ayats we see specific proofs and evidences that the messengers and the prophets, they were all sent with the same call to call the people to worship Allah alone. From amongst them, Salih and Hud and Shu'ayb salam, and from amongst them, Ulul Azim, that is Nuh and Ibrahim and Musa and Isa and the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. After this, these proofs which are general and specific in the Qur'an that confirm that the call or the da'wah of the prophets and messengers was in agreement. They were all in agreement, in concordance on this point of calling the people to the asl of ibadah, that is the tawheed. And this is the proof that the call of the Muslims, the people of Iman, it should be the same as the call of our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu And the call of the previous prophets and messengers should be the call to tawheed. And that is the concentration. Uh, that is the thing that the Muslim should concentrate on in the da'wah. Because it is the essence, and it is the core, and it is the most important thing, without which everything else that we call to would be useless. Uh, after that, the Shaykh, Rahimahullah, he mentions in question number 91, what is the evidence for the ikhtilaf? What is the evidence for the differences in the legislations or the laws of the prophets? Uh, in reference to the branches those things which are halal or haram. And what is the evidence for the ikhtilaf? And that, is, that there was difference, that there was variation in the shara'i, that is the sharia, divine laws that were given to the prophets and messengers in the furu', not in the usul. In the usul there is agreement on the tawheed. However, in the furu', the branches, there was some difference in that which was made lawful or unlawful, that which was commanded and that which was prohibited. There's variation in what the Prophet وسلم, uh, to the various nations were given as laws. So what is the proof of such? The first evidence that the Shaykh mentions is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from Surah Al-Ma'idah, chapter 5, verse 48. He says the saying of Allah Azza wa Jalla, لِكُلِّمْ جَعَلْنَا مِنْكُمْ شِرْعَةً وَمِنْ That for everyone, yani for every one of the nations and the peoples, that Allah sent prophets to, He said, لِكُلِّنْ جَعَلْنَا مِنْكُمْ شِرْعَةً وَمِنْهَاجًا That we have made a shira, a law, a divine law, and a minhaj, a way of implementing, of acting in accordance with that law, of manifesting it. He said, for everyone we have made a law, and we have made a way, a minhaj. وَلَوْ شَاءَ اللَّهِ لَجَعَلَكُمْ أُمَّةً وَاحِدًا وَلَكِنْ لِيَبَلُوَكُمْ فِي مَا آتَاكُمْ فَاسْتَبِقُوا الْخَيْرَاتِ 
In this ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that for everyone who have given a shir'a, a law, a divine law, and a minhaj, a clear way to follow, a road, a path to walk upon. And if Allah had willed, la ja'alakum ummatan wahida. If Allah had willed, if He had willed, then He could have made you as one ummah. Meaning, He could have given every nation the same sharia, the same legislative laws. As he gave, as he made the foundation of the deen, tawheed, for every prophet and messenger and made it obligatory on every people and every individual from amongst humanity, also he could have made the sharia laws of what is lawful and what is unlawful the same for every nation. If he had will, he could have done so. But Allah intended to test and to try you in that which he has given you. And he, instead of giving every people the same sharia and the same, and one prophet to every nation and one book to every nation, but he has sent various prophets, a prophet from amongst every people and a revelation, the various revelations that he has given to the prophets and the laws that he has given as a means of testing them in that which he has given them. To test them, to see which of them, as mentioned in the earlier ayat from the previous lecture, to test, to see which of them is best in action, in deeds, who will be the best. Therefore, he said, So hasten or compete and race with one another in the doing of good. Some of the scholars of Tafsir said, It means that this is addressed to the Muslims. That the Muslims should hasten and strive to compete with the previous nations who have been given different legislation than what we have been given and who have acted in accordance with the legislation that they have been given and we should act in accordance with the legislation that we have been given and, and compete with them in doing so to see who will be the best, who will be the foremost in implementing the sharia that they have been given. Every nation was given a sharia and every nation was given a minhaj and we have also been given a sharia and a minhaj and we should strive to implement it, to act in accordance with it, to be the best in action, the best of the people in our deeds in worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <clears throat> this ayat, as it has been explained by the scholars of tafsir, make it clear that every nation was given a different sharia. And the reasoning for this was to test, to see who will be yani, the best in implementing that which they have been given. To test you in that which we have given you. Uh, then the Shaykh mentions the explanation of this ayah as it has been reported from Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma and Abdullah ibn Abbas is well known uh, to be one of the greatest scholars of the companions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam especially for his explanation or interpretation or understanding of the Quran Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma said that the meaning of this ayat Shir'atan wa minhaja, it means sabilan wa sunnah. Yani that every nation has been given a sabil, a way, and a sunnah, a, a way to practice, yani a, a sunnah uh, that they should follow. They have been given a way and they have been given the specific details of how to travel on that road and how to implement that which they have been given. And similar to this interpretation of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma is the interpretation of a number of other scholars from amongst the tabi'een. 
And the most important of those he has mentioned, Mujahid, Iqrima, Al-Hasan al-Basri, Qatada, Al-Bahak, Al-Suddi, and Abu Ishaq al-Sabi'i, Rahimahumullah. And the biographies of these scholars uh, need to be mentioned in order to understand uh, the, uh, the, in order to understand how important is this uh, interpretation, because these were not just uh, people expressing their opinions, but these were uh, of the foremost scholars from amongst the Tabi'een, especially Mujahid and Ikrimah, who were of the closest companions and the most learned of the companions of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhum. They were the closest of his students and his companions and they took the knowledge of Qur'an from him. So we can see that uh, this is an opinion, it is not the opinion, the ijtihad of someone individually, but it was the understanding of many of the scholars from amongst the Tabi'een who were known for the knowledge of the Qur'an and of the deen in general. Then the Shaykh says, in addition to this, the other proof that he mentions uh, for the fact that there were variations or difference in the Sharia of the various Prophets is the saying of our Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam which is reported by Al-Bukhari and others. He says in the Sahih of Al-Bukhari, قَالَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمَ نَحْنُ مَعَاشِرَ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ إِخْوَةٌ لِعَلَّاتٍ دِينُنَا وَاحِدٍ يعني the Prophet وسلم, is saying here that we, the assembly of prophets, and the prophets, that they are brothers, لعلات, they are brothers, علات means brothers who are from the same father, but who have different mothers, they are brothers, they have the same father, but they have different mothers. Uh, a man who has been mo- married more than once, or a man who has more than one wife, he has children. His sons from different women, from his various wives, they are brothers to one another, because they have the same father, even though they have different mothers. The Prophet ﷺ used this as an example of the variation in the secondary marriage, in the legislations, in that which was given to the various prophets. نَحْنُ مَعَاشِرُ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ لِعَلَّاتِ We are brothers who have the same father but who have different mothers. دِينُنَا وَاحِدٌ But our deen is one. Here, some of the scholars said, the meaning of this is that the deen is one, meaning the asl of the deen it is the same, it is tawheed. The asl, they are from one origin, that is the same father. The asl, it is one, it is the tawheed. However, their mothers are different, so there is some variation. And that variation, it is in the secondary matters, it is in the legislations. The scholar said this hadith is a proof of the oneness of the deen of the anbiya in its asl, in the tawheed, and the ikhtilaf uh, in the deen of the prophets in reference to al-furu, the branches. Because they are brothers who have the same father, their father is one and their mothers are different. Therefore the one is the same origin in terms of their father, it means that the asl of the deen it is one that is the tawheed. However, the branches, they are different because their mothers are different, so the laws that they have been given is different. The shaykh says, Al-Hakami rahimahullah, after mentioning this hadith, he means that their deen is one, he means that the tawheed, which Allah has sent every messenger with, 
That is one, the Tawheed, which Allah has missioned every messenger that he has sent. That which he has sent them with, it is Tawheed. And that which has been included in every book that he has revealed, that Allah has sent down, it is that Tawheed, that is the oneness of the deen. As far as the Shara'i, that is the legislations or the laws, فَمُخْتَلِفَةٌ Then they differ in terms of the commandments and the prohibitions and that which has been made lawful and that which has been made haram. As he says uh, in this ayat, لِيَبَلُوَكُمْ أَيُّكُمْ أَحْسَنُ عَمَلًا يعني from Surah Al-Hud, chapter 11, verse 7, or Surah Al-Mulk, chapter 67, verse 2. And the reasoning for this is so that Allah may test you which of you is best in actions. And who will be the best in actions? The one who does it purely for the sake of Allah establishing the Tawheed. And then acts in accordance with the Sharia that has been given to them following the example of their Prophet. <coughs> in question number 92, the Shaykh asks, Has Allah mentioned the stories? Of all of the messengers in the Quran, has Allah mentioned the life stories and the histories of every messenger in the Quran? He said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned the stories or he has mentioned something from the anba'ihim, yani from their news or the things about them, their events. Allah has mentioned something of it, but not all of it. He mentioned that in which there is kifaya and mu'idha and ibra. And he has mentioned from the stories or the events of the prophets and messengers that which is sufficient, it is kifaya. And that in which there is a ma'idha, there is admonition that people will take heed to. And that in which there is ibrah, that there is a lesson to take from it. And he has mentioned that those events from some of the prophets and messengers which will be sufficient for the people to be guided. That will be an admonition and a warning and that will be a lesson for the people. He hasn't mentioned long narratives with details that are of no benefit. But he has mentioned that from the stories of the prophets that benefit the people. That which will be of a benefit. Then he said, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after mentioning uh, many of the stories of the prophets or something from the stories, that which is of benefit, he said, وَرُسُلًا قَدْ قَصَصْنَاهُمْ عَلَيْكَ مِنْ قَبْلُ وَرُسُلًا لَمْ نَقْصُصْهُمْ عَلَيْكَ Yani that there are some messengers whom we have mentioned their stories to you before. And there are some messengers whom we have not mentioned their stories to you. Yani that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned in the Qur'an what, what he has revealed to the Prophet وسلم, the stories of some of the Prophets and some of them he has not mentioned. This is mentioned in Surah An-Nisa, chapter 4, verse 164. Therefore the Shaykh says, if this is so, and it is that Allah has mentioned the stories of some of the Prophets and some of them, he has not mentioned, he said, therefore we must believe in all of them, yani in all of the Prophets. Tafsilan fima tafsal. We must believe in all of the Prophets. The details of what Allah has mentioned. وَإِجْمَالًا فِيمَا أَجْمَلًا And the general, yani believing in them in general and that which Allah has mentioned in general. Meaning that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned some details about some of the prophets and messengers. We have to believe in every detail that he has mentioned. And those which he has mentioned in general, then we believe in them in general without the details. Because Allah has not mentioned their details. Therefore it's not upon us to search out and seek after and feel responsible for the details that he has not mentioned. But we believe in them in general as he has mentioned them and that which he has mentioned specifically in detail then we believe in every detail of what Allah has mentioned in the Qur'an. And the next question he said, how many of them have been named? Kam summiya minhum fil Qur'an? Yani how many of the prophets have been mentioned by name in the Qur'an? 
He said those who have been mentioned in the Quran are Adam and Nuh and Idris and Hud and Salih and Ibrahim and Ismail and Ishaq and Ya'qub and Yusuf and Lut and Shu'ib and Yunus and Musa and Harun and Ilyas and Zakaria and Yahya and Al-Yasa'a Zal-Kifl Dawood Sulaiman Ayyub and also the Asbaq yani the descendants or the offspring of Ya'qub they have also been mentioned Jumlatan yani as a whole they have not been mentioned specifically but they have been mentioned as a group the Asbaq and Isa and Muhammad sallallahu alayhim وسلم. Uh, may Allah's blessings and peace be upon them all. Here, <coughs> it is worth mentioning <coughs> that there are prophets who have been mentioned here, <coughs> who have been mentioned in the uh, books of the other nations, the Christians and Jews, and there are prophets here who have not been mentioned <coughs> in their books. And from amongst those who have been mentioned here is Zul Kifl. And the scholars, the Muslim scholars, have not uh, confirmed the prophethood of Dhul Kifr. There is difference of opinion concerning Dhul Kifr. Uh, however, many of the scholars have mentioned that 25 prophets have been mentioned in the Quran by name. And normally Dhul Kifr is mentioned amongst those 25, as we have seen here. But there are 25 names mentioned here. From amongst them is Dhul Qifr. However, Al-Hafid ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, in, uh, in Surah Al-Anbiya, chapter 21, verse 85, when he mentioned the ayat where there is the mention of Dhul Qifr amongst the other prophets and messengers, he said, As for Dhul Qifr, فَالظَّاهِرُ مِنَ السِّيَاقِ أَنَّهُ مَا قُرِنَ مَا الْأَنْبِيَاءِ إِلَّا وَهُوَ النَّبِيِّ He said, what is apparent from the mention of Dhul Qifr here? in this ayat where he is mentioned amongst other prophets. He said he was not mentioned along with the other prophets except that he is also a Nabi. Except that he is also a prophet. But others said, Ibn Kathir says, وَقَالَ الْآخَرُونَ إِنَّمَا كَانَ رَجُلًا صَالِحًا Some of the other scholars said, no, he was a righteous man. Or he was a king who was just. Or he was a ruler who was fair. وتوقف ابن جريه في ذلك فالله عالم يعني الحافظ ابن كثير he says that the apparent meaning of this ayat and the mention of Dhul Qifl amongst the other prophets suggests that he wouldn't have been mentioned amongst them except that he is a prophet however there is another opinion who said that he was a righteous man that he was a just king that he was a fair ruler and he said that ابن جريه يعني الإمام ابن جريه أبو جعفر الطبري the scholar the imam of the scholars of Tafsir Ibn Kathir says that Ibn Jiriya did not take a position on this. Tawakkafa. Yani he didn't like say definitely he was a prophet or that he was not a prophet. He has not taken a position on it. So Ibn Kathir said, Allahu Allah knows best if he was a prophet or messenger. Indeed, some of the scholars have taken a, a clear stand that he was not a prophet and some said that he was definitely a prophet. From amongst the scholars of Tafsir, Al-Imam Shawkani says in his Tafsir, when the, in the mention of Dhul Kifr, he said that yani that which is correct of the opinions of the scholars is that he was a man from amongst the Bani Israel who didn't used to leave any sin. And then he repented and Allah forgave him. 
And he said, indeed, he was not a prophet. And then he said, he said, indeed, he was not a prophet. That is the correct opinion, according to Ash-Shawkani, rahimahullah. And he says, وَقَالَ جَمَعَةٌ هُوَ النَّبِيٍ But there is another opinion, a group of the scholars who said that he is a prophet. And Imam al-Baghawi in his tafsir concerning this says that the scholars have dif- dis- differed. Was he a prophet? And he was he a prophet or not? Some of them said that he was a prophet. And some said that he is Ilyas. And he is the one who is mentioned in the Quran as Ilyas. And some said that he is Zakariya. And Abu Musa said that he was not a prophet. But he was Kana Abdan Salihan. That he was a righteous man. From these sayings of the scholars it is clear. And from amongst the contemporary scholars who said that he was definitely a prophet. The Shaykh Abdurrahman Sa'adi. Who said that indeed he was a prophet from amongst the prophets of Bani Israel. So the scholars have differed concerning Dhul Qifl. Otherwise, and those who have been mentioned here by Al-Imam Al-Shaykh Al-Alama, Hafiz Al-Hakami, Rahimahullah, the others who have been mentioned here, the other names that have been mentioned here are definitely agreed. There is agreement of the scholars that they are prophets who have been mentioned by name in the Quran. As far as the Asbat, that Hafiz al-Hakami, rahimahullah, says that they were mentioned as a group, Jumlatan. The scholars have mentioned concerning al-Asbat that they were from the offspring of Yaqub. Some said that indeed they were prophets. And some said that the meaning of Asbat is the same as the meaning of Qaba'il amongst the Arabs. Asbat means the tribes from amongst Bani Israel. But they were tribes from the offspring of Yaqub alayhi salam. And that revelation was given to some from amongst them. Not specifically any one of them, but some from amongst them revelation was given. And this yani, is perhaps the, the stronger opinion, because indeed it is confirmed that revelation was given, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in Surah Al-Nisa, chapter 4, verse 163, wa Ismail wa Ishaq wa Ya'qub wal-Asbaq wa Isa wa Ayyub, to the end of the ayah, that we have given revelation to Ibrahim, we have given revelation to Ibrahim and Ismail and Ishaq and Yaqub and the Asbaq and Isa and, and Job and so on to the end, salam. So it is clear that the Asbaq revelation was given to them. However, the difference of opinion amongst the scholars is whether the Asbaq means the children of Yaqub that they were prophets or does it mean from amongst the tribes who are the descendants of Yaqub, some of them were given revelation and the second opinion, Wallahu alam, seems to be the stronger opinion. Uh, after this, the question concerning how many of the prophets were mentioned in the Quran, the Shaykh says, uh, Who are the Ulul Azm, Minar Rusul? Who are those who are of strong resolution and of firm will? Who are they? And the Shaykh says that they are five. Allah has mentioned them individually, and yani separate from the other prophets and messengers in two places in his book. In the first place, he mentions these Ulul Azm, the five prophets possessing strong resolution. Uh, he mentions them in Surah Al-Ahzab, and that is in the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Ahzab chapter 23 verse 7, Yani that when we have taken the mithaq, the covenant, when we have taken from the prophets, remember when we have taken a covenant from the nabiyin, mithaqahum, a covenant from them, 
وَمِنْكَ and from you that is the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, uh, and then he mentioned the other prophets in their order وَمِنْ and Ibrahim and Musa and Isa and Maryam السلام, may peace be upon them all here the scholars said that this ayat is the proof of, that these five are select prophets whom Allah has raised up to a special degree and they are referred to as Ulul Azim they are the, those who had firm resolution uh, and they are outstanding and distinguished amongst the other prophets the second place where they have been mentioned separate from other prophets and messengers is in Surah Al-Shura chapter 42 verse 13 the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala شَرَعَ لَكُمْ مِنَ الدِّينَ مَا وَصَّى بِهِ نُوحًا وَالَّذِي أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَيْكَ وَمَا وَصَّيْنَا بِهِ Ibrahim wa Musa wa Isa and Aqim and Aqimuddina Here in this ayat Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again mentions the singling out these five prophets from amongst the other prophets and messengers. He said that we have legislated for you. we have legislated for you uh, from the deen as part of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that which we have also commanded or ordained uh, we have ordered with it also Nuh and that which we have revealed to you the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, and what we have commanded with it Ibrahim and Musa and Isa yani that all of them have been ordered they have been commanded they have been given legislation with the same thing and that is an aqeem deen yani to establish the deen wala tatafarraku fihi and do not become separate or divided amongst yourselves in this deen. And here, uh, again, this is the proof that the Shaykh mentions for the fact that these five prophets and messengers are special and they're exclusive from the other prophets and that they have been ordered and what has been legislated for them is that they establish the deen and that they should not be separate or become divided in the deen. And the establishment of the deen, as some of the scholars said, it means establishing all of it, whatever Allah has commanded and whatever He has prohibited, the usul and the fuqh. character or whether it is worship, acts of worship or whether it is da'wah or whether it is jihad or whatever they are calling to but actually Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it clear that we must establish the deen deen, the whole of the deen uh, the usul as well as the furu, the tawheed, the good actions the good character, the good manners all of this needs to be established and don't be divided in it, that means that the Muslims should strive to establish the unity, the unity of the Ummah based on the truth, based on uh, the Qur'an and based on the Sunnah, based on the establishing the fundamentals of the Deen first, the Tawheed and the Aqeedah and then the branches of the Deen second, uh, trying to unite and striving to unite with one another based on that which has been given to the Prophet and avoiding separation and division where it can be avoided. In question number 95, the Shaykh asks, who was the first of the messengers? 
He said the first of them, بعد الاختلاف. أولهم بعد الاختلاف نوح عليه السلام. And he's the first of the messengers after the اختلاف, meaning after the people differed and deviated uh, amongst themselves. When they differed from the tawheed, that which the people were upon from the beginning, when they differed amongst one another concerning the tawheed and fell into shirk. After shirk, the first messenger who was sent to the people, it was Nuh alayhi salam, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in Surah Al-Nisa, chapter 4, verse 163, Inna ilayka, that indeed we have revealed to you, that is the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, just as we have revealed to Nuh alayhi salam, min ba'dihi. And we have revealed to you, we have given you the revelation, the guidance, just as we have given it to Nuh السلام, and the prophets who came after him. And meaning the prophets who came after him, meaning uh, that Nuh was the first of the prophets, and all of the prophets came after him, meaning the first of the prophets after the ikhtilaf, after the people had fallen into shirk. That Nuh السلام, he was the first, the first one whom revelation was given to. He was the first one who was sent to the people to call them back to Tawheed and to warn the people against shirk. Uh, <clears throat> then he mentions also as a proof of who was the first the first of the messengers, he said the saying of Allah Surah Ghafir chapter 40 verse 5 كَذَّبَتْ قَبْلَهُمْ قَوْمُ نُوحٍ وَالْأَحْزَابُ مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ That indeed, and this ayat was revealed to the Prophet ﷺ as a consolation for him when his people denied him and rejected him and called him a liar. Then, the, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing him that the prophets before also, their people denied them and called them a liar. He said, كَذَّبَتْ قَبْلَهُمْ قَوْمُ نُوحٍ Yani before all of the people who denied, the first of them it was the people of Nuh. Yani meaning after the ikhtilaf concerning Tawheed and Shirk that uh, the people of Nuh also de- de- denied وَالْأَحْزَابْ مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ and then all of those uh, parties or nations yani who came after the Umm who came after also they denied their prophets and messengers. Al-Hafiz ibn Kathir says concerning this ayat كَذَّبَتْ قَبْلَهُمْ قَوْمُ Nuh that the people of Nuh, they have also denied before them, before those who came later denying their prophets. Ibn Kathir says, وَهُوَ أَوَّلُ رَسُولُ بَعَثَهُ اللَّهِ يَنْهَا عَنْ عِبَادِةِ الْأَوْثَانِ And Ibn Kathir, Al-Hafiz Ibn Kathir, Rahimahullah says that Nuh, that he was the first messenger whom Allah sent, prohibiting the people from the worship of idols, عِبَادِةِ الْأَوْثَانِ Because before that the people, they were on Tawheed. The final question, uh, which we will take, it is question number 96. Yani what, when was the ikhtilaf, the ikhtilaf that took place amongst the people after they had been on Tawheed? The Shaykh Rahimahullah says that Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma said that there was between Nuh and Adam ashara kurun. Kulluhum ala shariatin min al Yani that between the Prophet Nuh السلام, and Adam السلام, between them there were ten generations. Ten generations. And the Qurun, the scholars, yani have defined it has been used with various different meanings, ten years or twenty years and so on. However, the meaning that appears to be the closest, the meaning of, of Qaran here, means one hundred years. Yani one hundred years or ten generations. 
of people there were between Noah and Adam alayhi salam, all of them were on yani ala shariatin min al-haqq. All of them were upon a divine law, a divine law that is based upon the haqq, based upon the truth. Yani all of them were upon the true religion, they were upon tawheed. For ten generations, from Adam until, until Nuh alayhi salam, they were upon min al-haqq, they were upon the truth, فاختلفوا. Then they differed. Yani the difference it was then they fell into shirk. And then the Shaykh mentioned the saying of Allah to Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 2, 13, فَبَعَثَ اللَّهُ النَّبِيِّينَ مُبَشِّرِينَ Then when the people differed, Allah sent prophets uh, giving the good news. And those who believed and obeyed uh, the message that they were sent with. So the ikhtilaf, uh, it took place uh, at the time of Nuh. The people differed at that time and fell into shirk. And he was the first one, as Hafiz ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, said, he was the first one that Allah sent to prohibit people from the worship of idols. At that time, the people differed, they fell into shirk, and then Allah sent prophets and messengers to warn them from such. Uh, this is where we'll stop now. If there are any questions or any comments, or any corrections, perhaps we can take a few moments now, inshallah. asked the question, he said that he has read where some scholars said that the division of the deen into usul wal furur is something new. Indeed, some of the scholars have said so, that originally such expression, yani, or this technical terminology of usul and furur, it wasn't uh, used by the Prophet wasallam, Sahaba, they didn't use such an expression. Uh, just as they didn't use so many other expressions that are used today in the Sharia, uh, such as that which is wajib and that which is mandub and that which is mubah and that which is makru and that which is haram, this division of the things that are prohibited or allowed or obligatory, it was not used in the time of the Prophet ﷺ or Sahaba. However, the later scholars who used these expressions used them as a means to clarify for the people the variations in the things that Allah has allowed or He has not allowed. For example, that which Allah has ordered us with. There are some things which He has ordered us with which is absolutely obligatory. And whoever doesn't do it is sinful. And there are other things that He has ordered us with, which it is not obligatory, but it is recommended, it is commendable. If you don't do it, there is no sin. But if you do it, it is rewardable. So the scholars of Fiqh, they established these terminologies in order to clarify the difference between that which is absolutely obligatory and that which is commended or recommended, but not absolutely obligatory, and likewise that which is haram and that which is makruh. Distinguishing between that which is absolutely haram, whoever does it has sinned, and that which is makruh. It is detestable, but it is not necessarily sinful. So likewise, some of the scholars have used this expression later, the expression al-usul wal-furur, to refer to those aspects of the deen which are most important. And there's no dispute, even amongst those who say that it is something new. They don't deny that the aqidah of Islam, that it is more important than the issues of fiqh, of what is uh, obligatory and what is not obligatory. Uh, however, they are saying that if this expression is used in the proper sense, not to uh, use it to say this is uh, usul, 
And this is furu, therefore the furu, we don't have to worry about it. Only those who we have to worry about. If somebody uses it in that way, they are saying this is blameworthy. But they are not saying that if somebody says that the usul means the aqidah, and this is the foundation of the deen, that this is blameworthy. As long as we are saying that along with that, the, the furu, the branches, the secondary matters, the jurisprudence, the fiqh, is also important and we must adhere to it equally. We also must adhere to it. But this is only a distinction uh, to show the, the, the level of importance of something over another. And there's no doubt it is confirmed in the Qur'an and in the Sunnah, the importance of the Tawheed and the Aqidah over the secondary matters. And if a person falls into error in Tawheed and they engage in shirk and die on shirk, then they will be a loser eternally. Whereas a person who makes an error in the fiqh, maybe he prays with his hand on the side, as the Shia, as they do. If a person does such, then they will not be expected to be punished eternally in hellfire, even though it is wrong to do so and there is no basis for it in the sunnah. So this is the thing, to make a distinction between that which is more important and that which is less important without saying that any of it is not important. It is all important, but one is more important than the other, Wallahu alam. And some of the scholars have said like this, and, uh, and it, is, uh, it is a good point, but it is a fine point, and we should not understand from it that they are saying that they are rejecting the idea of the use of this expression outright. Allahu alam. Allahu alam. Where have you read this at, by the way? So perhaps we can go back to it and see what he has said. I think uh, Shaykh Nukbil, rahimahullah, has also said something similar to it in some of his fatawa, the fatawa of Aqidah. But in any case, it is something that some of the scholars have said. Allah Alam, I think this is what they mean by it. Now. 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 It is what? What's the number? 337. Sayyid. 33.7. And one of the ayats that we mentioned, uh, it should be. 33.7 instead of 23.7. Yeah, if I said 23.7, it is Surah Al-Ahzab. Yani the ayat concerning <coughs> the five uh, prophets who are of strong resolution, Ulul Azim. And it is in Surah Al-Ahzab, chapter 33, verse 7. So if I have said 23, it is 33. <coughs> is there any other? No. The question is, when we say Al-Imam al-Rusul, do we mean the messengers or do we mean prophets, including messengers? It appears as though, what the Shaykh means here when he says Al-Imam al-Rusul, it means prophets and messengers. It means prophets and messengers, because this is from the arkan of Iman, to believe in the messengers. And here, uh, you know, the meaning of it, it doesn't mean that we have to believe in the messengers and we don't have to believe in prophets. It is clear that it has to include both of them. Even if there appears to be, even from the text of the Qur'an, some distinction between a prophet and a messenger, Nabi or Rasul. Even though there appears to be some difference from the text of the Qur'an between them, however, there is no agreement amongst the scholars as to what that difference is. And there are so many opinions of the scholars concerning the difference between them. Allahu alam, but there doesn't appear to be any explanation of it that is really conclusive. What is the difference between a prophet and a messenger? Except that Allah has mentioned prophets and messengers. So there is clearly some difference between them. But exactly what is that difference? Wallahu alam. 
Yani, uh, Ibn Taymiyyah and the other scholars have mentioned their interpretation of what is the difference, but there doesn't appear to be any conclusive distinction between them that is confirmed in the Qur'an and in the Sunnah. Now, Adam was the prophet for sure. question if a person who was from amongst the Muslims died practicing shirk, is it permissible to pray for them? And if it is known that they have died practicing shirk, which is major shirk that takes a person out of Islam, then it's not permissible to pray for them after they have died. If they are living, we should pray for them. If they have died, it's not allowed to pray for a mushrik, even if they were called a Muslim. After that then, inshallah. If somebody, mm. the brother is saying that um, if somebody dies as a Muslim, you have the right to pray for them. And the issue here, you know, that needs some clarification. It is a sensitive issue, and we don't want it to be misunderstood. Um, it is. Is a person considered as a Muslim if they are worshipping something other than Allah? And if they are engaging in shirk, major shirk, and we said, we know that there are two types of shirk. There is some type of shirk which is considered as minor shirk. And the scholars have clarified what is minor shirk and what is the result of the minor shirk. And it is the, the, it is the most severe of sins. It is the worst of the kabair, the major sins. However, minor shirk doesn't take a person out of Islam. It affects the perfection of the Iman and the Tawheed. And it is a, a severe sin. However, it doesn't make a person to go out of Islam. 
Major shirk, which means offering any act of worship, anything that is worship, doing it for other than Allah, then this takes a person out of Islam. And that person is no longer a Muslim. And the scholars of Sunnah have made it clear that the person who dies in that condition, that they are doing that which takes them out of Islam, so they are not considered as a Muslim. For that reason, the person who dies on major shirk, not only cannot pray for them, they shouldn't have a janazah prayer for them. They should not, one should not inherit from them. And so on. These, the laws that are applicable to the Muslim are not applicable to that person. Uh, the problem for us today is that because shirk is widespread in the Muslim ummah, people feel hesitant to take a stand concerning people who are engaging in shirk. But shirk is the thing that Allah doesn't forgive. Allah doesn't forgive it if a person dies on it. If they are living and they repent and they leave it, then Allah will accept their repentance. However, if they die engaging in that shirk, then what is the difference between the mushrik who worships an idol and the one who calls himself a Muslim who also worships an idol? What is the difference? Only a name. Only a name. Muslims have to be warned from shirk, from major shirk. It is a severe thing. It is not something to take lightly. People who are, who are worshipping uh, something other than Allah, giving worship to other than Allah, calling on someone other than Allah, believing that that one can help them and that one has power over their condition. This is major shirk that takes the person out of Islam. It is our responsibility to make this clear to the Muslims, to protect people from falling into this. And not to take, uh, you know, take the matter lightly and uh, imagine that because they said they are Muslims, that even though they engage in shirk, they will be okay. They will not be okay, no matter what they call themselves. The Prophet ﷺ, that the person who when he speaks, he lies. And when he is given a trust, he violates it. And when he vows something, he doesn't keep his commitment. He said, that person is a munafiq. وَإِن صَلَّ وَصَامَ وَقَالَ أَنَّنِي مُسْلِمْ Even if he prayed, and he passed, and he said, I am a Muslim. He said, he's a munafiq. A munafiq is a kafir. Who will be in hell, who will be in the lowest place in hell. Worse, lower than the Nasara and the Yahud. The Prophet ﷺ, the person who does this thing, that person is a kafir. He's a, he's a munafiq in that hadith he said. Even if he prays and he fasts and he says, I am a Muslim. He's a kafir. He's a munafiq. A munafiq is a hypocrite. He's a person who professes Islam but he has kufr in his heart. And he will be in the lowest place in the hellfire. Lower than the mushrikeen and the Christians and Jews. So saying that I am a Muslim, it is not enough. But we have to live according to Islam. Islam requires us to worship Allah alone. That is the foundation of Islam. If anybody uh, neglects this, then whatever else they do, even fasting and praying and making hajj, there's no benefit. There's no, no benefit. So we have to be careful that people are not engaging in shirk and then we are imagining that they are Muslims. They are not. Okay, uh, brother is saying that some Muslims, they are going to the grave, praying to the people in the grave, some Muslims, they are not worshipping idols. Well, there is no difference between worshipping an idol and praying to somebody in the grave. The idol is on top of the earth and the dead person is underneath the earth and it's all the same. It doesn't make any difference. Worshipping anything other than Allah, whether it is living or dead, it is worship. If you ask them for your needs, the dead person, what is that but shirk akbar? Because dead person cannot help themselves, let alone help us. So whoever supplicates to them, thinking that a dead person... If you ask a living person who is capable to help you by giving you some money or helping you to carry your bags or something, if you ask them to help you, it is lawful. But if you ask a dead person or a person who is not present, 
they're in another land and you said, you know, oh so and so uh, protecting you. How they will protect you and they're in another land? If they are with you and they have guns or weapons, maybe they might be able to protect you. Okay, in any case, this is a subject that requires a lengthy discussion. If you want to know the details of it, you can read the explanation of Kitab al-Tawheed by Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab. And the explanation of it has been recorded in, in, in lectures, in lengthy lectures. All of these matters that you are mentioning, in detail he has discussed. And he has given the evidences from Quran and Sunnah, and we have discussed it and explained it in detail. You can refer back to that and you will find clear explanation to it. Okay, again, this is a very sensitive issue, brother. We don't want to race through something like this. But in any case, the brother is saying, is there a distinction? And what I understand what you're saying, is there a distinction between those who intentionally engage in these acts and those who engage in it unintentionally due to lack of knowledge? Well, lack of knowledge, brother, it is an issue and that the scholars have discussed in detail. Al-Uzr bil-Jahl. Are people excused due to ignorance? In some matters, yes, people are excused due to ignorance. And in other matters, no. The scholars of Sunnah have stated clearly that there is a difference between a person who is living in a non-Muslim land and who has recently embraced Islam and they didn't have a chance to learn and nobody taught them. If they fell into shirk, and nobody taught them, they might be excused because they didn't have anyone to ask and nobody to teach them. However, the one who is living in the Muslim land where there are scholars and where there is Quran and Sunnah and the deen is known and anybody who wants to know can ask, they are not excused. They are not excused because they are required to know the fundamentals of the deen. They are required to ask. If you don't know, If you don't know, ask. It is your responsibility to ask. Seeking knowledge is obligatory on every Muslim. And the most important obligation that you must seek knowledge about is uh, worshipping Allah. So if a person is in the Muslim land, who is born a Muslim, living amongst the Muslims, and there are scholars there, the Sheikh, Sheikh Salih al-Fawzan has discussed this issue in detail. One of the things he said, that perhaps some of the people might be excused, Wallahu alam, because of the scholars in their land, even in the Muslim land, who are deceiving people, then they might have some excuse, Wallahu alam. However, 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 as long as there are other scholars in that land or in other lands that they have access to, then the excuse is eliminated. Then the excuse is eliminated. Because uh, those who have the opportunity to learn and don't make any effort will not be like those who have no way to learn. The Ahl Fitra, the people of Fitra, those who live in the time in history after one prophet has gone, and before another prophet came, and the message of the earlier prophet was lost, and they didn't know what is the deen of Allah. Those are the Ahlul Fitra. They had no chance to know. So they have an excuse. And on Yawm Qiyamah, Allah will test them, and He will come before them, and He will say to them, Am I not your Lord? And when they acknowledge that Allah is the Lord, then He will order them to enter a fire. And those who obey Him and enter the fire will find that they are in Jannah. And those who disobey Allah, who they said, You are our Lord, and they disobeyed Him, they will be in the hellfire because they are worse than those who disobeyed the prophets and messengers. So the people who didn't have any chance to know, Allah is just, Allah will not punish them. But they will be tested. If they are in this world today and know that the knowledge didn't reach them and there's no chance for them to ask or find out, Allah will test them. Allah will test them. Allah is just. Allah will not punish people until the message has been given to them. So Allah will. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika.
تفضل What about you and I? What is our position? May, may Allah make us of those who clarify the danger of this shirk. and clarify the importance of Tawheed and save people from this destruction. Indeed, the people who die on this, uh, there is no excuse for most of the people in the world today because the knowledge is available, the scholars are there, the message has been made clear. People are intentionally rejecting the message, they don't want to know. Whoever rejects it after it is given to them, then they will be responsible for that which they have rejected. Allah Alam, it is upon us to make ishtihad in this matter. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika, shalallahu ilaha ila anta astaghfiruka wa tubilik. shows us the importance of the dawah.